I didn't want to have to be that guy all the time. And doing the podcast let me work another muscle in my brain, you know? So I packed my bags and I packed my acoustic. Then I moved to a town that is known for live music. Learned a cover or two so I know how to do it. Now I write my own songs. There's nothing to it. What's up, everybody? It is Sunday, August the 25th, 2019, and this is episode nine of Singer Songwriter with Tom Meany. How's it going, friends? This Sunday's episode is kind of a a watershed moment, I guess you can say, because I've got uh, a legendary part of the Austin community, a rock star, if you will, a songwriter for, well, let's start first. Most importantly, he's a good guy and a good friend. Thank you. Also, you're not supposed to talk yet until I get done with this whole intro. I I learned that from another podcast. I'm stealing that. He's a multi-instrumentalist, a producer of many, many recorded musical songs. And also, I guess most recently, even though it's been a long time, the host of austin's greatest and most popular podcast i have mr johnny gowdy my friend how are you johnny i'm good man sorry i spoke too soon no it's, it's cool man thanks for driving out here to uh buta's buta kyle metroplex it's nice out here yeah you got a good place it's nice and quiet yeah i got a, a school so i can't get too crazy a it's, school within 50 yards from my house so, okay, so you've been cleared to live here. I've been cleared. <laughs> My brother has also been cleared. <laughs> and uh, so we have to kind of keep our noses clean just because I feel like we're being watched at you all are. times. You're here because you are the king of podcasts. Now, there's a lot more about Johnny. As, and I don't have to tell people, but I want to touch on your musical stuff. So, okay. Okay. You, you did a, recently you did this ted talk type yeah it's called pecha kucha nights and and it was a it was a speech that you gave kind of a seminar but a lot of people give speeches you have like 20 photographs you have to talk about each one for a a 30 seconds that's what it is or or 20 seconds it was some kind of weird thing that's what was really hard that's why i should have prepared for it a lot more well i thought you did a. that's was one of the things i wanted to mention is that okay i know that you have been a rock star you do this podcast, so speaking is very comes easy and naturally to you, especially on stage, 
in between songs, that's something that everyone has to do. Yeah. Uh, but also with the podcast, you've spoken to a lot of people, you know how to ask questions, but is it different standing in front of an yes. audience? Were you extremely nervous? Extremely I mean, I nervous. couldn't tell at all. Extremely but- nervous. I, I did. I was saying earlier to you, I, I walked around. I think I was bumming everyone out that was doing it that <laughs> night because I was just going up to him going like, this is going to be terrible. I'm going right. to fail. They're going to laugh at me. Well, it was helpful for me to watch that. And the reason is because, okay, I've known you for a few years. You've had me on the podcast, but we also have mutual friends. And that's probably how I ended up on your podcast. So I knew about you and I want to tell this story that okay. I've told you before. All right. But I, I think it's important All right. to tell how I know about Johnny Gowdy. Okay. So first, Dudley and Bob, uh-huh. that was my show. Every morning listening to this, if you're from out of town, there's a local morning uh, talk show. At that time, it was Dudley and Bob. Now it's Dudley and Bob with and Matt. Matt. And, and um, so it's changed over the years. But I, I, I always go back and listen from time to time. Some t- I don't get to listen as much as I used to. But anyway, you were always mentioned on that show and have been on that show. A lot. So that's how I first heard of you. Yeah. Dale and I are pretty close friends. Right. I like Dale. Yeah. He actually was talking talking bad about me uh, on Thursday's episode. Really? Uh, in a joking way. Oh. <laughs> I had mentioned uh, White Claw. Have you heard of this drink? No. I'm digressing, but White okay. Claw is a alcoholic beverage that just came out that is like seltzer water. Like if you go to HEB and you get the flavored yeah. lime water, yeah, tastes exactly like that, except... Five percent alcohol. Oh, nice. Not so. I've already been um, made fun of for drinking the, the appropriate amount of times from my meathead friends, right? Right. For drinking this, yeah, this alcoholic. Like essentially, not a wine cooler. Yeah, of, of right. Now. I'm yeah. not drinking like a hot vodka. That's. Yeah. I guess that's very manly. But uh, anyway, so I've mentioned it on Facebook, and apparently Dale is uh, has an interest in a competitive uh, competitor. Oh, so he, he was making fun of me on the, on the air, but also mentioned something on Facebook. Anyway, that's how I know about you. Okay. But in, I believe around 1997. Okay. Or I believe I, I I actually have a link and I'm going to be able to share this, which makes me very happy because I finally found this video. You played a show. And I believe it was Liberty Lunch. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was me and Scrappy and Mark Addison and Will Sexton. Yes. Okay, yeah, go ahead. So I'm watching TV at home, and I see four guys on a stage with acoustic guitars. They are each taking turns singing one of their own original songs. At this time, I have not seen this before. Now, those of you who are familiar with me now know but that is a that is my, the way of life for me. Yeah, in my performances are always song swaps, and I just enjoy doing them. Anyway, at that time, this is the first time I've ever seen that. Uh, I had I was not familiar with Scrappy Judd at the time. I wasn't familiar with um, Will really, other than I knew that him and his brother were local Austin like the favorite children, right? Yeah. And both great guitar players. Yeah, I didn't know. Will had this great singer-songwriter oh, man, side man. to him at that time. I, I was only like 22 or something, if it was 97, which feels right. 
I was just blown away with each performance because I'm not used to seeing I, at the time I was probably listening to either hair metal or some sort of R&B hip hop. Okay. That's kind of what I was toggling in between. Okay. So to see guys playing solo acoustic was new to me and it just immediately touched something like, okay, I'm, I like this and I'm down for this. Um, so that was my first real musical um, introduction to you. Yeah. And the song that I played at the beginning, the intro uh, clip, Julia, Julia yeah. was one of the songs and the one that has stood out to me for years. Yeah. Um, so that's how I know Johnny. And now today, Johnny is at my house, sitting on the couch, relaxed. Super relaxed. Talking to me about music and podcasts. Yeah. You know, I don't I don't remember playing that show. I do remember that it was uh it might have been two or three weeks after I wrote Julia. Oh really? Yeah. I remember that being a thing, but I remember seeing it on TV and a quick aside, those are three of my best friends. But there was a thing that I remember was that they would show the individual songs as videos, but the like whoever was sitting next to the person was in the whole shot, right? Yeah. So whenever Scrappy would play, apparently I would just get like this like loving look and like my my put my chin in my hands and just watch him play. And my friend Anar used to call it uh, that show when you're in love with Scrappy is on again. <laughs> yeah, well, that was the thing. It was on. It was on a lot. A, I must have seen that show. I, I guess I, I, I want to exaggerate and say a hundred times, but easily I've watched it fifteen times. Fully watched it. Right. Well, that's um, the thing is when that thing started, people weren't local people weren't making videos like they are now. Right. And, and so they had to go out and make all of this content. And so they're like, look at look at this situation. We can get all four of these guys and have like an individual videos of each guy. And it was like the early days of MTV. They just didn't have a lot. And uh, and so they did show the same stuff over and over again. Well, it it had an impact on me because I wasn't really thinking about music. I mean, okay, I, I have been playing guitar since I was 10. But around that time, all I cared about were, was football. Right. And sports. So yeah. um, my musician side wasn't even kind of sparked yet as far as playing out in Austin and writing and things like that. But now I, I'd see, I've seen the show. I'm like, wow, this is going on right here a few miles from where I live. Yeah. And you can see this all the time. And yeah. I just, you know, a scene, I, I didn't even think about what that was. You know, I'm, I'm watching MTV and I'm listening to all the things that other dumb kids are listening to from what they're feeding me on MTV. Right. Uh, but also, you know, you were being played on KLBJ and like, local licks live and stuff like yeah. that. Well, thanks man. This is very flattering. Well, yeah. I mean, and, and what's really cool also, it is, makes me feel super old. No, I'm not. Trying, man. <laughs> you and I are very close in age, but what's really cool. I, I remember, um, Mark Addison doesn't want to hear any of this shit because I've played at his house, uh, his house show yeah. that he does out there. And I tried to tell him this story because I'm trying to give him a little, you know, thank you for, uh, influencing me to start doing this. You know, I'm trying to give him that speech. He doesn't want to hear that at all because he's just really humble and he's trying to make me feel comfortable. Yeah. Like, Hey, you're playing at my house right now. 
you don't have to do yeah. this. We're buds. We're buds. So yeah. <laughs> I think it's funny because he shuts me down. Have you time. ever worked with him at all? Not yet, but we've talked about it. So it's easily one of the most fun. He's a he's, he's, he's so a great fun guy. to make music with. He's yeah. so fun to record with. He's so like he'll jump up and down. Yeah. when something is great, I need that. And just yeah, it's a great. <laughs> he's there's no he doesn't there's nothing. He's not at all trying to be cool ever. Right. Well, I gotta say, I I. I I like him a lot. I have been fortunate enough to have played his uh, house show series a couple yeah. times. Um, we've talked since then about co-writing. We've got this open kind of, when are we going to do this type also of thing. Also amazing. I've written a, a handful of songs with him that I'm really proud of. You've written a handful of songs with so many people. Yeah. Which is, um, to me, very, very inspiring. But I know that... Uh, I was when doing my research, one of the interviews that I saw, you played a song that you had just co-written with Jamie, who's a good friend of mine. Yes. Um, so you're a very prolific writer. I can be. We well, we've been in. I have been. We, you and I have been in a songwriting group. <laughs> yeah. Very briefly. Oh yeah, together. together. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so, but I know of of a lot of the co-writes that you've done, and and I've seen that you have appeared on so many artists albums you've recorded so many artists yeah um so that i you know i want to talk a little bit about your music but as you know i like to focus on certain things and i think that your music speaks for itself your musical history speaks for itself but some of the things that you're doing now in in the modern age of social media and everything being streaming and computer related yeah. your podcast is of particular interest to me one i can't think of a, a a more popular podcast in austin one of the things about it is as somebody who has found himself in this circle of austin musicians or songwriters it is so cool to be able to hear someone interviewed well that you know thanks man you know so i've mentioned jamie yeah. I mentioned Mr. Ray Prim. D yeah. D DJ Khaled. Um, who else? Ali Tadros. I mean, so um uh who else? Uh Daisy. Daisy O'Connor, yeah. Yeah, so Daisy, it's Daisy's been on like five times. Yeah, or something. It's so cool because I don't know Daisy well, but we do know each other and uh we have a lot of mutual friends. But it is cool to kind of learn more about someone. I can learn all about Daisy by listening to your podcast. Yeah. Hello, boys and girls. This is Ray Prim, a.k.a. Shamrock the Prevalator, and this is Singer-Songwriter with Tom Mead. You're one of the few people that I know that is an actual, I want to put my quote fingers up, a lifer. Oh, yeah. And I want to know this, because you mentioned in, the, in that uh, seminar, you, and you showed, shared a picture, your first gig, you were 14, you are yeah. playing at a buddy's birthday party. Do you ever have a, other than, like, did you ever have a... A job of, I mean, I'm sure that you had to work at a job. McDonald's yeah, or something once, like that. Once that, once that was the thing, I, I went to school and was like, Hey guys, it's, you, I'm a rock star now, which is hard to tell your friends that you've been going to school with since fourth grade. When you right. come back from, you know, seventh grade summer, like, all right guys, I'm totally different now. I am going to be more famous than all of you. I'm going to have all these chicks. It's going to be insane. Right. You know? But you knew that really early. And I knew most, that then. I don't. Th I don't know. 
that most people had had found that out yet. No, but you knew. I knew. So what are I some knew of the other I things that raised, you did? Uh, like before? Yeah, for money. When I was thirteen, I didn't do anything for. Or money. when you were six, you know, after you. Were, I worked at Whole Foods. I just did jobs to pay for my music that didn't get in the way with rehearsing or playing gigs, and I needed jobs that I could get off when I needed to to go do a radio interview or go play a you know a gig or something. Right. And you know, I I worked at Whole Foods. I worked at Whole Foods from uh, 1988 to 1993, and when I left Whole Foods and I didn't work for a long time uh, after my my record deal ended and we made this record with Mark Addison and uh, it, that was Gowdy, the second record mm-hmm. we did with Addison and um, I needed to keep making money. I had a mortgage. I was right. married. We owned a house. Right. Um, and so I started painting houses with this guy, Dickie Lee Irwin. You know him? No. Singer-songwriter guy? Mm-mm. He plays at the Skylark on like Tuesdays. But he used to have a paint crew that was like Troy Campbell who has House of Songs now, David Halley, legendary mm-hmm. Austin singer-songwriter, right. all kinds of music people. They all uh, they all worked on the same crew? Yeah, but like for money, you know, that's that's what I did. What else did I do? I mean, I learned how to paint houses from him, and I did that for a while. Right. And, you know, it's really fun. It, 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 that gives you the freedom to, to free your mind all day, you know? And, uh, after I worked with Dickie, I I uh, I did a lot in the early 2000s. My wife and I split up in 2004, and uh, I I had been in this band Endochine. When I got back from a tour, my wife and I split up. I left Endochine. It, they were in a complete personal disarray, and being in that band was not the place to be for right. me because I was in personal disarray. Right. So uh, at that point, I came back. I I you know, left my wife. I moved in with my friend, Joseph King. I don't know if you know him and a lot of his friends, my friend, Joe Gonzalez, uh, Katrina Cunning. And, uh, I, I started playing, uh, like El Arroyo used mm-hmm. to have these gigs. They paid like 150 bucks. And I did like three or four El Arroyos a week, uh, different ones around town and, you know, playing like the three hour thing. And doing everything like that. And at that point, Skyrocket was starting to play some gigs where we were making money. And yeah. then eventually doing all that stuff, Skyrocket kind of skyrocketed. Uh, and um, you can edit that out if you want. No, it's I'm keeping that in. It's like your grandpa making a joke. <laughs> uh, and, and, and that turned into a way to make a living. And um, another thing I do now... Uh, that I get paid for for part of the time that I do it is uh, Austin Music Foundation. Yeah, I wanted to touch on that a I'm, little bit because I, 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 although I I know of it, I don't know what Austin Music Foundation actually does, which is probably surprising to some people. But I do want to touch on that in a little bit. Okay, um, people should go check it out. AustinMusicFoundation.org. If you're an artist, you live in Austin, just go. And I'll and I'll make sure it. to put a, yeah. a link up yeah. on the show notes. So you mentioned Skyrocket. Yeah, and I'm I'm sad to say I've not seen Skyrocket. I know. I had plans and then you guys sold out the um 310. The, the 310. Yeah. Um that was going to be my first 
experience. would have been a good one. I think that there was there was fans of ours that have been coming since the very beginning, since we were called the K-Tail Hit Machine. Mm-hmm. And uh, they were saying that was the very best they've ever seen us, which is kind of hard to imagine. So ex- describe a, a Skyrocket show. That's interesting that you say that. Okay, well, Skyrocket show is like... I think that that our function, and I'm starting to realize this, is to take people out of now where they're at, which is our job as entertainers, Mm -hmm. even as songwriters when we're pouring our heart out. When we go up and sing those things, our job is to take this person out of their daily life. When you go to a movie, go away. You're immersed in this thing. And Skyrocket is like a seven-person band. We play all songs you know, (laughs) all super hits. We play them like we wrote them ourselves, which I, I think might be the thing that sets us a little bit more apart. Yeah. And we we play like we are playing our own shows. We are all people that leave it on the stage every time you get up and do it. We all take turns singing, switching instruments, doing the whole thing. So it's it's a it's a it's a thing. And we've been doing it so long that like when we go on stage there's like a like the train starts. It's no right. stopping it. You're just going. But when I typically when I say, you know what, I bet it would be nice to see if Johnny Gowdy wants to hang out. Typically, On a I can't do Saturday, that yeah. because you're in some other town. So you guys are playing mostly outside of Austin. Yeah. Yeah. And you yeah. find that that's probably financially better, but also well, crowd wise. It's funny because when we very first started it, we were all very, very immersed in being ourselves and doing our thing. So we did. We had this huge fan base of like, we were. It was like, hey, you can actually see Johnny Gowdy, Trish Murphy, Benjamin Hotchkiss from the Real Heroes all in one band together singing like, "We've only just begun" by yeah. the Carpenters, and yeah. it's amazing. And so there was that aspect to it. We did these ELO shows where we got the Tosca String Quartet, oh, wow. got some extra people. I think it was like an eleven or twelve person band. And we put on an ELO show. We put on a couple of them. And uh, those things were sellouts. Um, but what happens is in Austin, then, I mean, you, then, I mean, after a couple of years, the novelty kind of wore off with the hipsters. And you, it wasn't so much Jimmy No from Spoon and guys from Trail of Dead at, at Skyrocket shows. It was more like people that are regular people that right. are like, shit, man, that, 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 what they do is the best. It takes me to the best part. You can see it. You can. See, I see these people when their song comes on the first time they ever got a hand job or something. You know what I mean? <laughs> the first time they ever fell in love or whatever. Yeah. This was the song. You can see it like yeah. take over their faces, and they're transplanted into that feeling. Right. You and, know? and not only that, these are people who just got off work from their yeah. They might have a miserable job. life. Yeah. They got off work at five. It's Friday night. It's eight o'clock. And someone's watching the kids yeah. or, you know, you know, they're recently divorced and their friends are taking them out. This is a place that's going to take you to a place that, and I know that there are people that have been at, like, there's a lady that comes to see us all the time. That's been going in and out of cancer treatments and has said to me all the time, like you, this is the best Thing for me when I'm getting chemo I'm watching your videos on YouTube because of what you do for me yeah just entertainment man and well speaking of entertainment yeah now I know that I we got were, heavy we were just talking about uh skyrocket which is is you guys are playing covers 100% entertainment 
I need to hear a Johnny Gowdy song. Okay. And then when we come back, I want to focus on podcasting. Okay. This podcast was recorded on the Roadcaster Pro, the world's first fully integrated podcast production studio. Whether you're a seasoned podcaster or just starting out, the Roadcaster Pro is all you'll ever need. Find out more at road.com slash Roadcaster Pro. All right, we're back. Johnny, you got a song for us? I do have a song for you. Sorry, my. Okay, so this song, can I. Do you want me to introduce it? Yeah, sure. Okay, please. so I wrote this song. You know Renee Woodward? I've heard the, the singer song, right? Mm-hmm. We wrote this a long, long time ago. Um, but I wrote, I, I wrote the majority. She never played it or anything because I don't think she ever learned it. But I was always like, ah, oh, it's such a good song. And I never really did anything with it. So uh, I. Uh, it's a little, little high for me. Uh, but uh, but I like the song a lot, and Let's it's called it. uh, "You Don't Even Know My Name." All right. I saw you turn around today. Thought you caught my eye What I thought was breathlessness Turned out to be a sigh Now you look like a painting That I could never buy Every time you look my way Makes me want to die I will be your everything Your sunshine and your rain But you don't even know my name It's hard for me to speak I am melting in your gaze I dream of how I'd kiss your lips But I can't count the ways Now where you like an albatross That's never going to die Every time you look away Makes me want to cry I will be your everything Your sunshine and your rain But you don't even know my name
know Well, you don't even know my name Yeah, man, I love that. This is one of the really cool things about this podcast uh, endeavor for me. That was a great performance. Thanks. And, I, and I'm just, I mean, the people who know me and what it is that I love to do, that what you just did is, is it. And I could have sat here and I would have paid 80 bucks to listen to you play a whole set just like this or have a few people in the living room just like this. And I know that's not really what you do, but man, that, that was great. I do do it. I yeah. play guitar and sing songs. No, I know, but I mean, you're, <laughs> you, you're a rock star, right? So I mean, oh, the, you mean the, like you're not going to find me at a house concert? Probably. You know not, what, man? I, 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 I mean, I'm not a house concert guy. I, I, I'm very uncomfortable. Is it in the, that situation? Is it the forced interaction, or is it the the how everyone is just so kind of comfortable and laid for myself? And laid, you know? I'm comfortable in a thing like you know. Uh, you know, we grew up seeing Kiss, even though Gene Simmons now does house concerts. <laughs> you yeah. could never imagine that happening in a house. And I, I always kind of think of myself, like, what am I going to... And then it's just like, I'm going to bum everyone out or piss everyone off or something. Oh, man. Well, I don't know. I mean, maybe maybe I should said. be... Maybe also the thing is, is no one really asked me to do them. So now I just have this thing like, oh, they must suck then. Well, <laughs> if anyone that's a house show host, just listen to that. I have actually played a few shows with Johnny. We did. In the it round. was kind of a house show. Yeah, over at, a, in the out uh, in San Marcos. Joey Spivey's place. Yeah, and then also our thing at the Townsend was very much like oh, yeah, every house did. show I that I do. I forgot all about that. Yeah, with uh, and Sila. Sila. Yeah. yeah, and John Green. That's it. Yeah. Oh gosh, that was so monster cool. of the drums, man. That Sila is also for me. amazing. I love Sila, but that's a house show. Yeah, I guess that I mean, was. Really yeah. Okay, is. so I'm into it. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so your the video that you sent me, and, and I think it's, I want everyone to watch that. It's eight minutes long, but it's really brilliant, and you get to learn the essence of Johnny. Right? Yeah. But one of the things you mentioned was connection to the community. For the most part, you're interviewing a lot of local people, but not always, right? No, but not because, some, you, because you have so many local people, mm -hmm. it is almost inherent that you are connected to the community in that way yeah uh like the dudley and bob show just huge parts of this town mm -hmm. you you are connected to and for example the the anniversary show that you did uh i don't know if that was last year or two years ago the dudley and bob one yeah the yeah. big one that was at i guess it was at the paramount, paramount. it was a couple years ago a couple years it was ago. like a couple years ago like this last week or something yeah yeah that was um, an amazing musical experience. You know, that night I backed up uh, Kelly Willis and Bruce Robeson, Bob Schneider, Casey Crowley, uh, Charlie Sexton. I wow. got to play Beat So Lonely wow. with Charlie Sexton for the first time in decades. What a great, I remember that that was a video yeah. that was on MTV. Yeah. One of the few people that I can recall, I remember Dangerous, do you remember Dangerous oh, yeah, Toys? Oh, hell yeah, yeah. So Dangerous Toys and Charlie Sexton, I remember vividly, like, wow, they're on MTV and they yeah. live here. I can see them. But yeah. Beat So Lonely, I, I remember that video. Such a good looking kid. Yeah. <laughs> good looking old dude, too. Yeah. Oh, gosh, yeah. And now killing, I mean, just doing, you know, he's been with like Bruce 
No, was Bob he, Dylan. Bob Dylan. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, man. I like how the singer-songwriter guy doesn't know the I difference know between shit, Bob Dylan man. and Bruce Springsteen. I don't know shit, man. Are you a Dylan guy? Nah, not okay. necessarily. But right. I will say, speaking of Dylan, I watched the documentary that his son did recently about... Oh, um, the Laurel Canyon? Yeah. Have you seen that? No. Pretty pretty cool. But, you know, this watch is it. probably I mean, things that you're familiar with already, but me being... I still like those stories. I'm such a nidnik, man. I, I, I'm new to everything. And I have to go back and kind of learn what everybody that I, that are my peers already know. Like, yeah, I'm guessing that you have a Beatles influence. <laughs> yeah, you think. Because <laughs> I hear, I hear yeah. it in some of your songs. Yeah. I don't have that because when I was young, you know, I was in the Philippines when, when everyone else was getting exposed to. Remember, they got in trouble the with, Beatles. with the Marcos family. They had I, to leave the Philippines. I had n- I don't even know yeah, they, that story. They, that was one of the dark times for the Beatles. Wow. Sorry, go ahead. Well, I mean, I guess it's not an excuse I was in the Philippines because the Beatles were all over. But when kids in the U.S., because the Beatles were even already not a thing anymore when I was little. But, right. But those kids still were here. The Beatles have, to this day, a long-lasting uh, effect on on everything music. But at that time in the Philippines, it just wasn't, the well, culture I, was different. I so. also had young parents and my mom uh, was just like 21 when she had me and she had uh, three younger sisters and they were like in that, that was their thing, you know, like they, they were Beatle people. And right. The Beatles, there was a, any question you ask, like, you know, hey, do you want to have one of these chocolate chip cookies? I'll be there in a minute. If you want it, here yeah. it is. Come. Like, that's how I was raised to the right. point where I really, like, even I remember I learned how to read uh, through Beatle lyric books and listening to the song at the same time. I, uh, I learned how to play music. That whole wanting to be a guy in a band that I talk about in that thing. Right. That, like, when I was uh, maybe five, I was a huge Beatle fan. I knew all their songs. I knew who was who, you know, and I could tell who was singing, you know, because they all sang. Right. And um, although this, can I tell you a funny aside? I thought there was a black guy that would come in and sing like uh, the golden slow, <laughs> like that part, you know, when Paul McCartney does the big kind of like crazy growling voice. Right, right. And I had seen pictures because Billy Preston played on Let It Be. So there's a black dude there like playing keyboard. So I'm like, ah, that's that guy. Yeah. They let him sing every once in a while. He's not in any of the pictures, but that's the guy. He comes in and sings the big part. So right. I, I, uh, when I saw uh, A Hard Day's Night and then specifically when I saw Help. Have you ever seen Help? No. They all live in a house together. That's what I, I was like. That's I just want to grow up and be one of those guys in that house right. doing that stuff with chicks freaking out everywhere we go. But like, we all live in a house together and we're all just weird and goofy yeah. and get to just do stupid shit all the time. Well, so that reminds me because, you know, it sounds to me like, and this is something that you mentioned in that video, uh, the hang is the such hang. a big part oh my God. of yeah, man. the allure of being a musician. I, yeah. My mom was friends with musicians when I was, I've known Hallman, Mark Hallman, mm-hmm. who you met the other, I've yeah. no, I met him when I was 13. He was, he was married to, a, he got married to a friend of my mom's. Right. So I was around him and he, he was like, come on, man. He took me to all the stuff, he took me to gigs, took me to meet uh heart when I was 14, took me to meet uh, John Cougar when I was 14. Um, let me come to his gigs and be part of Eliza Gilkison 
and him released a a a, a record and a dual EP together. Right. And uh and, and and I was at the release with them and hanging out with all the musicians when I should have been at school. My mom was like, you know what? If this is what you want to do, you might as well go go hang out with these dudes that do it. You know right. what I mean? And uh, Hallman just always like he he uh, he had some stepkids then. But I think he just viewed me as like this little brother and he's just always taking care of me. Like, seriously, like there's no. Uh, I'm going to fucking cry on your podcast. No, it's all dude. good, man. Um, seriously, there's nobody that's ever given me as much as he's given me. Right. Like he gave me a place to live. He took me in, you know, gave me everything. I like everything basically that I have become has been just trying to be like him. Well, I think that there are common aspects of creative people that are searching for something like that. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And when we talk about the hang, yeah. a big thing that attracts me is to this, to music and to creative groups. Like, I'm a huge comedy mm-hmm. guy, right? Um, and what's one thing that makes me sad is that I was not a part of this community when there's this era that everybody talks about, especially if you get around Susanna Chaffel and um, you know, she mentions Momo's all the time and Ray um, DJ Khaled mentions, <laughs> I have to do that every time. I like it. Uh, he mentions Momo's, but there, there was these, this scene, right. That was going on um, that I don't know if it's happening now and maybe it's happening, but it's happening with younger generation of yeah, musicians i just don't see it but so i'm saddened that i was not a part of you know the whole momos thing and the whole steamboat thing and back when everybody was playing downtown um but now the there is in comedy that there's still a scene that hang that happens around like the comedy store in la oh yeah where all the comedians hang out and all the people that are fans or star fuckers show up to the comedy, the comedy shop, right. comedy store. store yeah. And uh, they're just, you know, wow, there's, you know, there's uh, Bill Burr. Right. Or there's Joe Rogan. Holy shit. On, yeah. on, on a Monday night, yeah. you can see Joe Rogan at the comedy store. Yeah. Monday night. Every well-known you know Chappelle will stop through Chris Rock will stop through all the well-known comedians but I'm sad that I missed that era of that part of Austin that was going on like I don't know of you know maybe Strange Brew had a little bit of that going on but one-to-one has a little bit of it going on you you can see a lot of musicians hanging at one-to-one still but the whole Momos which i I can't there's even a whole speak scene on like a hotel I, Vegas like that, right? And there's a whole scene at the White Horse like that, and there's a whole scene at uh, One to One like that. There's mm-hmm. a whole scene at the Saxon like that. Jesus, right. there's you know. Well, I guess maybe I'm just in the wrong place at the wrong time. Yeah, <laughs> but that hang, yeah, the fellowship, the community, the fellowship and the community. I feel like maybe that kind of transitioned into your desire to put this podcast out. Yeah, and yeah, it did. So in 2011, which is now, you know, we're talking about eight years. I mean, most people didn't even know podcasts, what a podcast was yeah, or where to find it. <laughs> yeah. And, and so you were on That's kind of the, the forefront. Yeah. Like everybody has a podcast. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, I think it's, you know, saying that, I think that it's important now because we have to find whatever avenue to get to the people, right? Like if I want, if I'm as a musician, you know, putting things on Facebook as far as, okay, Hey, I'm playing on Saturday. All right. You got 2000 people on your Facebook. Nine of them are going to see that because of whatever the algorithm is, but what other ways can we communicate to the public or the people podcast, man? That's the thing. And you knew that not eight, nine years ago. So now 833 episodes later, the last one being with the great Mr. Dave. Yeah. And I broke um, my Tuesday, Friday rule and I released it on just in honor of Capsize. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's why. I put it out at 11 p.m. on Saturday night, same time Capsize used to Oh, start. dude, that is so great. Yeah. That is so great. I actually, I think that what's <laughs> so dorky. This, no, There's like man, five guys that think awesome. that that's the greatest oh, thing because that ever happened. He was such a, he is such a big part of yeah. this town and the history and music. I mean, we talked about the other day, um, uh, 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 the guy that they made the movie about. Yeah, Kevin Gant. Kevin That's where I found Gant. out about I mean, him. this th- late night Austin Access TV was m- such a big part of my life. Yeah. Because when you're a younger kid and you can't, and you can't be out on the town, I don't yeah. know what age range it was, but you know, I was at home just watching TV late, or maybe I was already at the age where I was getting drunk, but I was coming home and not being able to fall asleep and just staying up at uh, three in yeah, the morning, man. watching Kevin Gant play these yeah, dude. outlandish things. I was like, I don't even know what this is, but I've seen it a thousand times because they keep playing it. And people seem to love it because yeah. I'm hearing the crowd behind the camera yeah. go crazy for it. But I don't know what the hell I just watched, but I mean, it was that part of the scene, right? Um, your connection to now this community is, is c- cemented because of yeah. the fact that these things will never disappear because of technology. Yeah. Everything that you've said over eight years <laughs> will be in, in in until the planet gets destroyed by a meteor is going right. to and even after that maybe yeah. you know if they're watching us up there hey this is Jamie Harris and you're listening to singer songwriter with my friend Tom Meany over 833 episodes you've had a huge range of the people that you're talking to right mm-hmm. so you've got legendary people and very special podcasts uh Ian McCloggan yep George Reef. Yeah. Uh, you've had really. George, George's are the most, are, I mean, Ian, Mac and I were friends. Yeah. Uh, George was like a brother to me. Right. In a way. Yeah. Um, it, it, I'm saddened that I never met George because uh, some of my closest friends uh, were very fond of him um, and very close to him. Yeah. Um, in addition to these very special episodes that you've had, you've had episodes with some pretty big names. Um, but then you've had episodes with guys like me, which is important guys, yeah, too, yeah. Uh, to, to introduce people to the community. Mm-hmm. But um, let me think you've had recently, and I know that you're really stoked about this. You had Ray Wiley Hubbard. Yeah, that was great. Uh, you've had the Bodines. Yep. You had Glenn Phillips. And Twice. Let, let me tell you why I love that. It's because Toad the Wet Sprocket was one of my favorite bands. Yeah, I remember we talked about yeah. that. Yeah. 
And uh, not only that, but you you did an episode that was like a two two part episode, not two part, but one episode with two different guests. Uh-huh. And I was on oh with one Glenn, of the, Glenn the second show. time, yeah. yeah, yeah. And so that was awesome to me. Yeah. Um, but also, okay, eight hundred thirty three episodes. Yeah. Tell me, you've had a bad experience. Oh yeah. Have you had an experience where you didn't? I did. Upload. Yep, I did. Really? And I called the guy afterwards and I said, man, you're in a weird place in your life. I think you feel like this today. Oh, I see. But I don't think in a month you're going to want this out there. I see. He was in a dark space. He uh, hated Austin. Oh, wow. He had moved to Houston and had some rich sugar mama that paid for him to do this whole record with Matt Nevesky from Blue October at the Orb. And like, I mean you know, 20 grand into this project and something happened. She might've gotten another, find, find an interest somewhere else with a boyfriend that didn't cost as much money. Uh. And she just dumped him and he had nothing. He had given everything up to be with her and he had packed up his car. The record was about to come out like the next week, but he had no more money to tour or do anything. So he's packed up his truck with everything he had in his life and was driving to California to live in his parents' house. And he stopped by to do the podcast. Oh, wow. Horrible, and, horrible and, timing. And yeah, he was not happy about Austin. He talked a lot of shit about it. I won't say who it is. You know, he was a, he was a pretty nice guy, but he never talked to me again after. He didn't answer the phone when I called him. Mm. And I left him a message saying, just that. Am I going to put it out? Let's do it again. And you did him a favor. I know a, I did him a great favor. favor. I don't think anybody, even at the at the cost of, <clears throat> I don't know if you were close, but even at the cost of, prop possibly not I, I think, having a relationship after that. I, I think that he he was less into being friends with me than he was into being able to say that he was friends with Johnny Gowdy. That's the vibe I always got from him. I consider him, you know, like a pal, but I didn't think of him as like a dude that I'd call if I was ever sad or if I, you know, wanted to go hang out and do something in all these episodes have you ever had a like a huge argument on the podcast no. or disagreement anything that seemed uncomfortable to you I, I had a guy uh lie to me about the past that i was a witness to so during he's and i didn't you- know what to do and i was like well in my mind in the moment i was like this would totally end the podcast and the guy would leave right where i just say like dude <laughs> are you fucking kidding me basically the dude said like he i don't want to out who it is at all but he had a residency it was on a weeknight i went to it a lot and he was like yeah you know back when i had that residency and he literally said this and we'd have you know 900 1000 people <laughs> i it was so far fetched that right. people emailed me that knew us both I and they see, were like yeah. how the fuck did you let that go by <laughs> anar who I, I play with and works at awesome music foundation and stuff he he was like you should have your license taken away for doing a podcast just for letting him your podcast say license that. yeah <laughs> okay so yeah i want to talk about the austin music foundation last just okay. i want you to sure. d- describe that for, for people who might be listening but um so you've got this huge body of work that's music related yeah and now you have this other thing that 
isn't necessarily about your music. For me, I think the brilliant part about your podcast is that not only do you get to interview people and get to know people more and, and expose them or to the, the crowd, you get to talk about your shows. And so it is a great way to promote, even though I know that's not your number one no, reason. I mean, the way I see it is like, shit, I have a show. Yeah. It takes like 30 seconds for me to. For, for me, the promotion, it was a big motivating factor in that we as musicians have to find every avenue nowadays right. to get the word out. But do you feel like the podcast takes away from your public image as a musician? Do you feel like the fact that it's so big and one of the, you know, as far yeah, as know interviewing music yeah. bands and music musicians, does it take away from your music? I don't think so. I mean, I think, uh, as far as public perception and people coming to my music, um, no, I think that it takes me away from my music. The reason I ask is because, I mean... It's another thing I, I can do instead of writing a song. Yeah, I guess that's a good way to look at it. Because for some reason, stuck in my head is, you know, the reason I love certain artists, or maybe not the reason I love them, but one of the things that causes people to be so uh, pulled in by an artist is a little bit of the intrigue and mystique of not knowing yeah, everything. There's no more mystique. Especially <laughs> now. I mean, because with me, there's not your whole at all. life is, yeah, my is whole on, life is out there. Yeah. Yeah. But so that doesn't take any, in your mind, you're not worried about it. No, because I'm not, I'm not in the position. My, my, uh, sites, expectations of my career what i want to put into a musical career are vastly different than they were when i was brass ringing it you know going for the brass ring and all right. that stuff i have a very realistic thing of what i i don't even know what i want to do you just want to create i want to make music i want to play with people i love being in a room with um i want to go play shows i want people to come i want to entertain people and you know Unfortunately, like financially, really, the only way, you know, between the podcast and Skyrocket, it's kind of pulled me out of, of that time-wise. But a lot of it was I, I needed it when they, when they both, so I needed, I needed to do something else for a little while because I was just like, it was all Johnny all the time, you know, from when I was 14 till I was like, you know, 42 years old, you know, it, up until eight years ago when I started the podcast, after I went through uh, my mom's murder trial and all that stuff, uh, I wanted to do stuff, other stuff that I wanted to do, you know, I didn't, I didn't want to just have to play my songs at a play. I mean, after a while, I mean, I mean, dude, I've, I've been on the road making original music. That was, you know, for 22 years straight. Yeah. And that was just exhausting. I had had all these different levels of things. And ultimately, I was still trying to get people to come to my show at Momo's or, you know, wherever it was. And it just, it got, it got tiring and, and, and the grind started kind of overtaking the fun I was having. 
And so getting out of that and not getting out of that, but getting out of that at the level I was in, you know, a lot of the reason I had this band Liars and Saints uh, with Casey Crowley and Jeremy Nail and Pally Pal and Joe Hummel up until about six years ago. And it was just too, it wasn't what I thought it was going to be. I thought I was going to get to share the workload with people. But I think that in a group situation, unless I take a backseat, like in Skyrocket, I say what I need to, but other people run everything. And I mean, that that's amazing. I've always run every fucking thing I've done, you know, and it, it's exhausting. It's amazing to get done with a gig, pack up your shit, jump in your car and go home. And like, somebody's going to give you a check for it next week. Right. You know what? I, I don't have to wait at the thing for the guy to count the money. You know what I mean? All that stuff about, it. I don't have to call people and ask them if they're coming to rehearsal. I don't have to tell people what time they need to be somewhere. That's a luxury. I mean, after so many years of being the guy that does that, you know, and when things go up and things go down, I tried to ride it out like a champion, but as things were going down and it was becoming harder and harder to sort of be heard and be seen because I had already been heard and been seen. I was already young and exciting and this guy on acid and paints his guitars and you know what I mean? All right. this crazy shit, wears a top hat on access TV or whatever. <clears throat> I wanted a break from that. Like I wanted, I wanted to make music, but... I didn't want to have to be that guy all the time. And doing the podcast let me work another muscle in my brain, you know? I didn't care about school. You know, I should have stayed in college. It was like once I, I went to school, uh, you know, to Austin, uh, Houston Community College in their recording program, and I couldn't even hack it in there because it was like, oh, you mean after this I'm going to have to get an internship somewhere? Fuck that, dude. Right. Like, And then you start thinking like, Keith Richards didn't go to fucking college for this. Like you just do it. Right. And that's how you be a guy. And you know, I knew enough guys that had done that. No, Mark Hallman was never like, Oh no, you got to go through this recording program. He's like, no dude, you got to get in the van with your bros and just drive around and sing to people, you know? Yeah. And so anyway, it's not like, also there's a matter of making a living. I mean, you know, after a little while, it gets hard to go out and do it all the time and be making like 50 bucks every night. Yeah. It, it does something to your psyche and your self-worth, you know? You're talking about, you mentioned the grind in yeah. that and putting out 833 podcasts is a lot of people would think is a, is a grind. And I know how much work it is because I've done nine yeah. and I feel like I've <laughs> aged You've done nine. Two years. <laughs> yeah. You know, I've done nine. That's But you've done nine. It's, I mean, it's gone by pretty fast. It has, you know, I'm and I'm only doing them once a week though. But so after 833 podcasts, how do you feel? Like I'm still learning and like there's still more conversations to have and I'll still get more out of that. Is there even, and I, I even hate to, to mention it is because there I don't end? want, is there an end game? No. Good. I mean, that's because this is a new phenomenon, right? No, because I'm kind of thinking like, sometimes I think like, oh, should I end it? At, I mean, look, and you'll see this once you get past nine, you get into <laughs> like the two or three hundreds. You're like, why the fuck do I do this? Right. I I want to take a nap. I don't want to fucking listen to Katie Rain. You know what I mean? <laughs> Nothing yeah, against yeah, yeah. Katie Rain. I love her. Right. But 
some days it's not it's not the person it's not anything it's just it's a all of a sudden you've been doing this for years and you're like just like anything you know i'm sure there's gigs that you're like oh, i don't fucking do this um, gig yeah, yeah. I mean, i've had that yeah i mean that happens i don't want to go be me at a thing i want to be in a place where i don't have to be like hey it's tom meanie yeah. you know what i mean <laughs> like super tom meanie yeah like well, you want to you want to just hang out in the back cave in your underwear. You don't want to Absolutely. jump in the fucking car and go out there and have to wear the cape and everything. If you decided to take a break for a year, start the podcast again next year. Oh, Tell but the- think about all those people that are subscribed to your podcast, what it would do. I would never do. I don't even take a week a sudden, off. Yeah, I, I don't have imagine. seasons. Well, I hope that there, I, it's, you know, I brought that up because of my curiosity, but... As a listener, I hope that that never happens. Right. And I'll tell you what. I, sometimes I think like, oh, should I end it at a thousand? Oh, should I? The thought of not doing a thousand kills me. There's something about like having four digits. Oh, gosh. Yeah. And like, yeah, okay. That's like a life. That's like, you know, a month and a half if you listen 24 hours a day of shows. Like, and I did that. So, okay, cool. But another part of me is like, now I've, I've been doing this for eight years. And... And I do take breaks that people don't see. You know what I mean? You'll stockpile. I'll do eight or nine in a week and not do any for three weeks. You know, maybe not three weeks, but maybe two weeks or something. I won't, I won't actively sit down and record my conversation. I still do the intros every Monday and every Thursday before the show comes out. It's kind of a ritualistic thing for me. Or if I'm doing some, if I'm leaving to go somewhere and I don't want to have to worry about Wi-Fi and uploading and if I'm going to get shit right or if I'm going to have time, I'll do them before and you, I'm Podbean, you can set them to come out whenever you want. Right. Like yesterday, I, I put that whole thing together Friday of, uh, Dave. of Dave and, and, and Nathan and uh, I had a gig last night, so I was on stage when that podcast came out last night. So. Wow. But ultimately, when I do think about it, it's like, well, it's led to so many opportunities. It doesn't really take too much out of me to do now at this point because it's 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 not that it's rote it's like all of the things the mechanisms are second nature at this point to do the things to prepare for the podcast i know how to do it i know uh i you know you just get a a good feel for it and it becomes you know second nature just like playing shows or singing songs or you know playing guitar or piano or drums or bass or something um which you play all of I do not very well. Well, but. at this point, do you even have to seek out guests or are people just shooting you emails? People do shoot me emails. I mean, I'm sure you're getting yeah, them. Yeah, I'm starting. Well, are you hearing actually, from publicists yet? I'm not hearing from publicists, but I, well, unofficial. Hey, this is one of my guys. I recorded him. Can you yeah. have this guy on the podcast? Which is a huge uh, shot in the arm for me. Yeah. Because as you can tell... I don't know what the hell I'm doing. Right. I'm not an interviewer. I, I, I assume that, well, but you've done so many that it just becomes second nature. I'm, I'm assuming, but just conversationally, right. Well, listening to you, I can tell that you, you know Mm -hmm. how to steer a conversation if it's going off the rails because that you typically are staying within a certain time frame. but you have spoken to 833 people for at least an hour. And so just having that kind of conversational experience and knowing, all right, this is kind of where I am going with this question. You can steer questions and, and, and steer a conversation in a certain direction. But because I'm actually 
listening to right. it while it's happening. Does that make sense? Yeah, to you? because it's just, it, one of the things that I'm finding is, you know, as natural as a conversation would be if you and I were sitting at uh, Chilantro. This episode brought to you by Chilantro. Right. <laughs> if we're sitting there, you're, you're not thinking about steering anything. No. I'm just asking questions and you're reacting and then I'm reacting to you. Right? Yeah. But for some reason, once you put a microphone in front of somebody, I lose my train of thought because I'm trying to think, okay, um, did my chair just squeak again? Or did that, was that song uh, too loud? And this is the kind of things that are going on while I'm trying to have this normal, natural conversation. So I, I, I do think about it. But I don't know how natural it's coming yet. But I feel like if you know, I if I did this a couple hundred times, I feel like I'll, I I don't have to edit ums and ahs out, and I can just kind of let it be the yeah. the conversation as it is. The other day, I interviewed uh, the director and the two main stars of a movie all together. Actually, their second movie is coming out. Um, and uh, it's an independent movie. It's not like I had Steven Spielberg right. and, uh, and, and uh, I don't even know an actor's name. It's Cindy Adams. That sounds right. Cindy Rachel McAdams. Yeah, there you go. I, I had this whole thing. Like I watched these movies. They made a movie that like, do you ever see This Is 40? Yes. And Knocked Up? Uh, knocked up? Yeah. yeah, Knocked Up. So it, it's a similar thing. They had a movie. It's about the kid. And the kid's coming of age and he gets a car. And now the new movie is about the parents when the kids move out. I see. So it, it takes off on the, the uh, side characters and follows their story, which I think is super cool. But I had all of these great ideas, all of these questions. And in the moment, I would get freeze up and like not even say anything for seconds, you know, like. So, uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? Where yeah. you're just like, shit, I don't know what to say. Yeah. And then they left and I'm like, oh, that great stuff I was going to say. And, you know, that, that happens to me a lot. The last thing I, I would like you to touch upon is the, uh, the Austin Music Foundation. Yeah. Uh, so the Austin Music Foundation is a nonprofit that is there to provide educational services for the music community at no cost to the artists themselves. So uh, money is raised through events, I mean, like right down to like the jar at the AMF events, people can drop some money in there. We got some corporate people. We got people that go to the website and donate. They have uh, events like mixers and stuff. Uh, I moderate panels on all different aspects of the music industry, finding a publicist. Um, a lot of like making a record. I have producers. I've, I've interviewed, you know, like Frenchie Smith and... Uh, and uh and lewis black the filmmaker and kathy valentine at a live thing that they 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 have uh panels for education uh they have mixers they put on shows or we put on shows and uh and the thing that i'm most involved with at this point is a thing called the artist development program which is where we choose uh six or seven artists and we give them like a six month educational time and we end it with a big concert we try to get them uh showcases in front of all the biggest booking people that we can get their music to the biggest you know what i mean like we we bring in specialists and each month we have a class where that focuses on on uh building a team um making a record using your creativity but then also a bunch of business stuff legal stuff publishing stuff uh mechanical stuff how money works in the business and um uh, 
And then we also have one-on-one consultations because me and Anar are veterans of the music scene. Alex Vallejo, veterans of, of like music. We've all had big record deals. We've all been out and done the thing. And, uh, and, and we are very honest and realistic about what it is that happens and what you get. And uh, so in the artist development program, we, we basically help these artists educate themselves on their business. And then on a personal level, because it's tailored to each, each artist or group, really personally to their needs so that they can get the most out of it is like talking to uh uh talking to them and finding out where they're at and what their specific needs are and then spending those six months trying to fulfill it if it's like trying to find a booking agent or like we need to have more songs or we need to put out a new record like just whatever it is that they're trying to do we we try and help them achieve it are there any requirements to be eligible to to receive the the knowledge or, or to well, you go can, into anybody can do it. The artist development program is we handpick artists that we feel are ready to take a next step. Well, I'm going to definitely put a link to the Austin music foundation and some of the things that Johnny's been talking about in the show notes. Do you have a huge show coming up? Any kind of uh, promo that you want to do before we go? I have a show with my band on September 29th. At Cosmic Coffee, Sunday, Sweet. September 29th. Yeah. I'll be there. Yeah, you can find me at johnnygowdy.com. And there I have links to Skyrocket. I have links to the podcast and everything. All those will be in the show. All those will be in the show. Uh, skyrockettheband.com. Find out when we're coming to a town near you. I know we're doing some, uh, like that hot spot place in Cedar Park. You know what I'm talking about? Uh-uh. It's outside. Haven't heard of that. It sounds hot. Yeah. It's, yeah, which is deal breaker for me because yeah. i'm hanovers cool if you're listening from houston we're gonna play last concert cafe again sam's in san antonio nice did you just did you do that show with chris and uh no actually and um i wanted to be there because i know all of them and i'm good friends with all of them but i had uh i was recording the podcast while they were doing it that's what happens man yeah, i'm gonna miss out on a couple cool things so you record on sundays you put it out on mondays I, I mean, it's, it's like a ritual. Do you ever? It happens to happen. I mean, it just so happens to be on Sundays that most people are available. It's a pain in the ass because then I only have that night to edit and get it out for the next day. Um, but you know, I'm I'm open to having people come over in the middle of the week, and eventually, I want to you know build a couple backlog just so I can. Maybe one. You're gonna time. want because you're a football fan, right? Oh yeah. Seems like this oh, is just gosh. gonna ruin your you Sundays. Just, you just blew my mind because I didn't even think about that. Football season's gonna ruin. Hey guys, I hope you enjoyed the last episode. <laughs> this was such a fitting podcast. guest to have the legendary Johnny Gowdy on the final episode. Farewell, baby. Until not, not football season. Maybe seasons are a good idea. Yeah. Hey friends, if you've enjoyed this episode of Singer Songwriter with Tom Meany, consider subscribing via the Podcast Addict app, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or your favorite podcast application. Also, it really helps if you rate and review on iTunes. Most importantly, if you've got friends you think would enjoy Singer Songwriter with Tom Meany, let them know by sharing. The address is singersongwriterpodcast.com. And as always, you can email the podcast with your questions or comments at singersongwriterpodcast at gmail.com.
Beauty. 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 Beauty.